0: Well, I am Pastor Bob, and it's been a while since I've been up here uh, to preach, and so I may be a little rusty. So um, hopefully, no one will throw anything. Although someone did tell me that they had tomatoes with them, and um, <laughs> and hopefully uh, we will be able to learn something from the Word of God this morning. Um, one other thing, uh, just reminded or Cindy reminded me of. Um, seven, Pastor Steven is away, and some may be wondering why. Most, if you're on Facebook, you may have known, but if not, um, uh, two Sundays ago, his or was it last Sunday? Yeah, last week. Um, he had a cousin and his cousin's son, who perished in a house fire, and uh, they are this weekend down in Allentown area. that funeral. And so do continue to remember that family in prayer. It's been very tragic and devastating to them. And um, his cousin, I think, was just 35 and a 10-year-old son. So remember Pastor Steven and his family in prayer. In 1997, Reeve Lindbergh, who was the daughter of Charles Lindbergh, was invited to give the annual Lindbergh address at the Smithsonian Institute's Air and Space Museum. And they were commemorating the 70th anniversary of her father's historic solo flight across the Atlantic. And on the day of the speech, the museum officials invited her to come early so that she could have an opportunity to uh, get up close To her father's plane, the spirit of 76. Uh, She had never, ever touch that plane it has always been on display during her lifetime and 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 so they were going to to uh, take her and put her in a cherry picker and 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 take her up to the plane the plane if you 've ever been to the space museum or the air and space museum it it hangs from the ceiling and uh, they were going to let her get up and just be close to her father 's plane and so on the morning uh, uh, of the day that she was to be there she was there there with her young son, Ben. And they eagerly climbed into the cherry picker and it raised them upwards until they were at eye level with the plane. It moved in close to the plane uh, and was within her reach. And as she looked at that machine that her father had had spent all that time going across the Atlantic in by himself, uh, she reached out and she touched the door handle of the plane. Uh, and, and she knew that, that that door handle had been touched by her father many times. And it was just a connection with her. And it was almost a spiritual thing for her. And tears welled up in her eyes. And she turned to her son. And she was so grateful she was able to share that moment with her son. And she turned to him and said, Oh, Ben, with her voice just trembling and in a whisper, Isn't this amazing? And Ben replied, Yeah. Yeah. I've never been in a cherry picker before. <clears throat> we have certain expectations of how things should go, of how people should think and how they should behave, and, and uh, of the moment what they should be experiencing. In the, in the Bible, the Bible is a story. It's a God, it's God's story. And all through that story are individuals that God has shared with us their part of the story. Some of those stories are about heroes. We see Noah and Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Joseph and David, and we can go on and on. And there are villains like Joseph's brothers, like Jezebel, like Judas. This morning we want to look at someone who was almost a hero. Almost a hero. He he should have been a hero. He could have been a hero. He stood right there on the threshold of becoming a great king, of becoming a great leader of Israel. He was faced with one decision. One decision that would literally transform the direction of his life and the life of Israel. This man's name was Rehoboam. He was the grandson uh, of the greatest king uh, that Israel has ever had, King David. He was the son of the wisest man that supposedly has ever lived uh, because God granted him wisdom. And as we come to this story, his story in Scripture, Just based upon his lineage, we we have high expectations of, of what Rehoboam could do and who he could be and what he might do as God's servant. Solomon, however, his father, for some reason Solomon strayed far away from God. But unlike his father, who David, who had also committed atrocious sin, and he repented and came back to God, we don't find anywhere where we see clearly that Solomon repented and returned to God. Solomon began to worship false gods and idols. He took to himself many women uh, who were not Israelites. They were from all the surrounding nations. They were foreign wives. He seems to have had a a real problem with sex and women. The Bible tells us he had 700 wives. That means he had 700 in-laws. 300 concubines. And it seems like he was just consumed with material things and, and, and they consumed him. His ambitious pride grew well beyond the wisdom that God had put within him and well beyond his initial love for God. And as a result, his son, Rehoboam, who we're looking at this morning, his mother, who was this foreign woman, it contributed to Rehoboam's falling short. And yet in a way, Rehoboam was a hero to certain people. At least by his peers. And I I think if we could pull him out of history and put him among us, uh, he would be a hero to many in our culture today. He was selfish. He was self-centered. He was egotistical. He was self-absorbed. He was focused on power and privilege uh, and, and pleasure. And everything that excessive wealth could give him. I say he's a hero because basically Rehoboam is no different than the heroes that people look up to today. Our sports figures and entertainment figures and politicians. uh, It's all about me. It's all about look at who I am. His father was the Hugh Hefner of his day. And so in Away, what can we expect? Maybe those initial expectations uh, were just way too high. Really, he turns out to be an anti-hero. Because in our story today, Rehoboam stands uh, in a moment in time, uh, and it's a pivot point in his life. He can go either direction, and each direction will take him in radically different directions places. Solomon, his father is dead. And now he was the one chosen to be the successor to the great kingdom of Israel. A dynasty that was put in place. And the very first decision that he makes in this new administration determines his fate and the fate of Israel. Let's look at this story. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 12, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. And when Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him and Jeroboam, and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Jeroboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Listen, lighten the, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. And so the people went their way. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? Well, the older counselors replied, If you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer... They will always be your loyal subjects, your loyal people. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who he had grown up with and who were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burden imposed by my father? The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers. Who, those complainers who want to lighten their burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, and I'm going to make even he- them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people. For he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Rehoboam was almost a hero. A a simple decision to become a servant king like his grandfather would have propelled him to greatness uh, and his name would have been remembered uh, forever. But he couldn't and he wouldn't humble himself. Humble himself before others or humble himself before God. If he would have just humbled himself in that moment and served the people, He would have won their respect, he would have won their gratitude, he would have won their admiration, they would have been loyal to him, they would have died for him. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't humble himself. He thought respect was something due him because of his position, because he was in authority, because he had a title. He thought that power and privilege was his right. He thought that loyalty was something that he could purchase through intimidation and fear. But we find out that he was dreadfully wrong. Another sad note in this story is that this man who lent his ears to the advice of the fools that were around him, in the entire story, if you read it, not once is there a mention of him ever seeking God's advice. Never did he go to the priest and have them ask God. Never did he seek the prophets out and say, what does God have to say? Never sought God's will. Rehoboam was looking for someone who would agree with what he'd already had in his heart. Uh, Someone observed that when we ask for advice, many times what we're really looking for is an accomplice. We're not really looking for them to give me advice. We're looking for someone to say, Yeah, let's go do that. And Rehoboam was looking for an accomplice. He wasn't looking to find out what God wanted at all. If he had only read and learned what his father wrote in the book of Proverbs, if you go to the book of Proverbs, you find this phrase over and over my son. It seemed like Solomon was writing things that he wished his son would learn. Learn that the easy way that sometimes Solomon learned the hard way. And he says, my son, my son. And in in, in Proverbs chapter 19, he says, listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you'll be wise. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord whose purpose prevails. But it wasn't so to be with Rehoboam. And with his choice, he set himself on a tragic course of failure. While Solomon had taken David's kingdom, his father's kingdom, and had had, had transformed it into one of the greatest nations in the world. Uh, Under their leadership, it had grown and had influence and wealth and power. But in five years, Rehoboam had lost half of the kingdom. Ten of the tribes went off with Jeroboam to be king, or to to serve him. Uh, and, and, And the wealth was squandered, and not just squandered, was taken away. He was reduced to... Political and military and economic powerlessness. And as a result, the nations that had once respected Israel, that had once listened to what David had to say, now knew that they need not fear this pipsqueak of a grandson of his. And so Egypt, Egypt saw in Israel easy pickings. Let's look at let's look at 1 Kings chapter 14. It says, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam's reign, King Shishak of Egypt came up and attacked Jerusalem. He ransacked the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stole everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. King Rehoboam later replaced them with bronze shields as substitutes. And he entrusted them to the care of the commanders of the... Of the guard who protected the entrance to the royal palace. Where whenever the king went to the temple of the Lord, the guards would also take the shields and then return them to the guard room. When the children of Israel had left Egypt, uh, when they came out from being slaves down in Egypt and returned to the, the land of Israel, if you remember that story, as they left Israel, They plundered the Egyptians, left Egypt. They plundered the Egyptians. They took from them their gold, jewels, and silver, and all the precious things they could take. And the the Egyptians said, yeah, just go, go, get out of here. And they gave them all the wealth of Egypt. And when they had come down to Israel and all this wealth had been accumulated and then as David rose in power and Solomon in influence and, and people from around the world would bring, and the Bible talks of tons of gold that were brought into Solomon. But now that Israel had sinned, God allows Egypt to plunder these people, his people, Solomon had ruled during what was called the golden age, and it was called golden more than it was just great. It was golden. He had in his palace these great big shields made out of solid gold. 200 of them and he had them displayed on the walls of the palace so that when people come in they could see right away the, the, the wealth and the power of this man that they had come to visit. And Egypt came in and plundered it all. Took all the golden shields that Solomon had commissioned to to put in his palace. And now Rehoboam was trying to, to act like he was still somebody. And so he said, well, we don't have any gold, so let's make some bronze one. And he puts them up, but no, we can't put them up because someone might take them. So he stores them away and locks them up. And when he wants to look good and impressive, he brings them out and parades them around, and makes a spectacle of himself. Rehoboam's kingdom was diminishing. Solomon and Rehoboam's sin had met with God allowing the kingdom to be torn apart, handing back to Egypt the gold that was taken from them. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And shortly after, just a couple verses down in verse 31, it says, When Rehoboam died, he was buried among his ancestors in the city of David. His mother's name was Nema, an Ammonite woman. Nema. There's a military aviation phrase that goes like this. The accident already occurred... We're just waiting for the plane to crash at its crash site. What it means is the accident occurred way back there, maybe on the runway, when a mechanic failed to make a proper maintenance. It failed The crash happened when the pilot made a wrong choice in maneuvering around the storm, whatever it may be. In other words uh, We see the crash, but that happened way before when someone made a wrong decision. So it was with the sins of Solomon, with the sins of Rehoboam. Solomon, as an Israelite, was forbidden from taking a foreign wife. The law says that they should only marry within the Israelite family. And yet Solomon took wives from all the nations around him. One of those wives was Naamah. Naamah is the only wife of Solomon that is named uh, in the Bible. Of the 700, uh, only one we have the name, Naamah. And it says she was an Amorite. And uh, earlier in the story of Solomon, we read this, that Solomon began to worship the gods uh, of the wives that he had taken from the foreign lands. Uh, And one of the gods, it specifically says that he worshiped, was Moloch, which was a wicked, wicked god uh, of the Ammonites. And so we find here the crash had already happened. Way back there when Solomon walked away from the commandments uh, of God. Uh, I lift up Rehoboam to you to remind you and to remind me that he was almost a great hero, and we can learn some lessons from him if we're willing uh, to learn from someone else's mistakes. Years ago when Cindy and I were were dating and things were getting serious and we were talking thinking about maybe we should get married I was studying to be a pastor Cindy that caused some fear in her heart I don't know if I want to be a pastor's wife I, I don't know how to be a pastor's wife. I, I, I don't know. what. I, I just don't know. At that time, I was assistant pastor in a small church in northern Kentucky. And the pastor's <laughs> wife was nice enough person, but she was a piece of work. <laughs> she would sit on the front row. And when pastor was up preaching and maybe he was sharing an illustration, she would just thought, No, 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 it didn't go like that. Here's how it went. And she would correct him with a story, with grammar, with whatever. That was one of the things she did. And so I told Cindy, you want to be a good pastor's wife. Here's what you do. You look at our pastor's wife, and whatever she does, don't do it. <laughs> And I think it's worked out pretty good. (laughs) She's been a good pastor's wife. Can we learn from someone else's mistakes? Are we willing to learn from someone else's mistakes to be a better person, to be a better follower of God? Let me just close with three things that we can do to not become an almost hero. First thing is, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Everything in Rehoboam's life revolved around him. It was all about me, the king. It was all about what he wanted and when he wanted it and how he wanted it. But then again, is that too much difference from us sometimes? Our culture? It's so easy to slip into that me, me, me. The world revolves around me. It's the very essence of our culture. We listen from morning to night to advertisements and things that are said, this is all about you, it's about you, it's about you, what you want, and when you want it, and what you feel. It's all about you. It's so easy to think that our problems are the most important problems. That my struggle's the worst that could happen. No one going through what I go through. And Rehoboam reminds us to get over ourselves. The people had been worked to death by his father Solomon. He had built his palace. They had built the temple. He had built the new walls, new walls around Jerusalem. There was all kind of work projects that he oversaw. It was a period of great growth in the kingdom, but it was on the backs of the people who were conscripted into labor and they worked from sunup to sundown to please the king. And the people wanted to break They were tired. They had their lives. They had their families. They had their dreams. And they had lands and homes and animals that needed cared for. And they were just saying, Rehoboam, just give us a break. And we will serve you. You will be our king. But Rehoboam was only thinking about himself. He thought that they were insulting him. That they were disrespecting him and his position. Disrespecting his father. And his father's wise advisor said, uh, Rehoboam, if you'll just serve them, they will serve you. But he couldn't serve anybody but himself. How dare they ask him to serve them. His friends who he had grown up with, and they had been around the palace seeing him grow up, probably experienced and enjoyed the fringe benefits of being the, the, the friends of the son of a king. They basically told Rehoboam, you tell the people this. Hey, look, you peasants, you're nobody. Your lot in life is to serve those who have culture and upbringing, power and privilege. Your job is to make our lives better. So don't complain, don't moan, stop your whining. You already have, and I will show you what it means to be treated badly. He couldn't get over himself. Albert Schweitzer, the famous missionary, to, missionary doctor to Africa, said this, Whatever you have received more than others, in health, in talent, in ability, in success, all this you must take to yourselves as a matter of course. In gratitude for good fortune, you must render some sacrifice of your life for another life. Rehoboam didn't get that. I hope that we can. Rehoboam never connected with the people that God entrusted him with. He didn't listen to them. He didn't really even care about them. He only cared about himself. We live in this culture that is so consumed with self, and as hard as we try, it's hard sometimes uh, to pull ourselves away from that and realize that what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 23, he said, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. And those who humble themselves, God is going to exalt them. Get over yourself if you don't want to be an almost hero. And then secondly, grow yourself. Learn from others, learn from their mistakes, learn from their advice. Rehoboam was too self-centered to do that. You know people that when you tell them to do something, you can almost count that they're gonna do the opposite of what you said. You know, maybe you have a teenager Maybe you have a spouse, maybe you have a mom and dad, I don't know. But you know someone that if you suggest something to them, they're going to do the opposite. Well, you're not going to grow if you're that kind of person. Rehoboam wasn't seeking their advice. He was just wanting people to pat him on the back and say, hey, you're good, you're good, go for it. He didn't really want his father's advisors to help him. They just wanted them to agree with them. Think about your relationships. How many times you just want people to agree with you, pat you on the back. And when somebody gives you criticism, tells you that you should have done it differently, we, our hackles just get up and we just get defensive and we don't have to take that. We're not listening to that. Rehoboam wanted nothing but his own way. Grow yourself. Learn from others. Value other perspectives. Uh, Even if you may not agree with them, listen. There might be something you can learn. If Rehoboam had listened to his elders, he might have realized that being a king is hard, and he needed to learn. But he didn't, and he destroyed a nation. Now, you might not have a nation that is hanging upon the decision that you are going to make this week. But there are people in your sphere of influence that your decisions impact them. Your decisions to go this way instead of this way transforms their lives. What are you doing? Are you seeking God's wisdom in making those decisions? Grow yourself. Grow beyond yourself. And then finally, give yourself. Rehoboam was not willing to serve, to sacrifice. He was not willing to give himself. The University of Michigan did a study about people who volunteer. And they found that people who volunteer seem to enjoy life more and they live longer. People who give themselves away actually live longer than people who are all about themselves. One of life's most important questions is this. And I I encourage you to write it down or put it on your mind or have it something that you think about this week. What am I doing for others? What am I doing for others? We live our lives and almost all of our energy is going in to affect me, to make my life I work for me, my family, to put my house, my car, my job, my school, whatever it is that's in my org. That's where most of our energy goes to make sure that I get and able to keep what I want. Ask yourself this week, what am I doing for others? What in my life this week am I doing that isn't about me? It isn't about my friends or my family or my church or whatever. It's about others. You want to become a hero live a selfless life this is what adds the most fulfillment to life and it's really what following Jesus is all about Jesus called us uh, to walk away from self uh, and walk into a life uh, for others Jesus put it this way love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself and all of the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to fulfill all that God wants? Love God completely and love others as much as you love yourself. Very simple, Jesus says. And yet, it's what all of the law and all of the Word of God, he saith, is based upon. If you pray for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you've sought his forgiveness, then continuing to follow him means uh, repenting from a life that is self-centered. It means giving yourself to others. It means putting into life instead of just taking out. It means adding value to others uh, instead of just seeking what value I can get. Rehoboam never got that. He was more interested in control, power, prestige, pleasure, he tried to hold on with an iron grip uh, to those things that his father had passed down to him. And as his grip tightened, uh, he just watched as all of it slipped through his hand like sand. Because he couldn't think of anybody but himself. Rehoboam, almost a hero. Let me conclude by telling you about another Ray. Raymond, Raymond Maximilian Colby. The name Auschwitz brings a picture to our mind. For those that maybe lived during the World War II time period, uh, it especially brings memories. It was a place of death. Four million Jews perished in the in the poison gas and the ovens of that of that encampment. When the Allies took that place, they found mountains of things that the Nazis have saved. They found a half a ton of hair that was shaved from the heads of the Jewish prisoners. Mountains of shoes and suitcases and eyeglasses, gold teeth that they took from these that they took their lives. And in that was a man named Raymond. Raymond was a Franciscan priest. And he had been helping the Jews escape the Nazis who were looking for them. And in all of it, ultimately, he was arrested and put in Auschwitz. It was in Auschwitz that he realized that he still had a parish. His parish was now this camp. And he served the people around him uh, like God would want us to serve. He shared his food. He bound up their wounds as he could. He gave up his bunk many times. He even prayed for the captors. Witnesses testify to the fact uh, that he always put his inmates before the, the, his fellow inmates before himself, sharing what he had. Allowing others to go to the front of the line ahead of him. Allowing others to get medical treatment that could have been his. And he soon had the nickname, The Saint of Auschwitz. In July of 1941, there was an escape from Auschwitz. Someone managed to escape through the fence. There was a rule at Auschwitz that said this, If anyone escapes this camp, ten people will die. so... The prisoners were mustered and brought out into the yard. And what they did was the SS uh, officers would randomly go through a list and just call out a name at random. And ten people were called. One by one, they had to step out. And finally, the last man, uh, the tenth person, was called. His name was Franciszek. And I can't pronounce his last name. But he was Polish. He was a sergeant in the Polish army and had been captured. And when his name was called, he just cried out, Oh, my wife and my children, what are they going to do? And that moment, the officers heard some movement amongst the soldiers, and they are amongst the prisoners, and they didn't know what was happening, and they came to alert and and were ready to shoot if they had to. But out from the prisoners stepped Raymond. And he just said, "I want to talk to the commander." And for some reason, they let him. And he said to the commander, "Let me die in the place of this man. I have no family. Besides, I'm old and and have not much uh, ability to work. Uh, He's in much better condition, more useful to you." And for reasons that we'll never know, the SS officer allowed Colby, Raymond Colby, to take the place of Francis the priest was marched off with the nine others who were called out they were placed in a cold basement cell that was called the starvation bunker there they were stripped of all their clothes the floor was covered in human waste there was nowhere to go the rats came in and out freely and one by one the men died because they were given no water They were given no food. They were just left in there until they died. One by one they died, and after 14 days, there were only four men still breathing. Only one was conscious, and that was Raymond. On August the 14th, 1941, the Nazi guards needed that starvation bunker because now there was another group to put in there. And so they sent the camp doctor down with a syringe filled with carbolic acid. And into the heart of each of those was given a syringe that stopped their heart. The last one to die was Raymond. Francis survived. He was liberated by the, by the allies. He was eventually reunited with his wife and children. And until his death, March the 13th, 1995, when he was 94 years old, until his death every year, he made a pilgrimage back to Auschwitz and returned to that cell, the cell that for 14 days someone took his place. And there he would weep and pray and thank God that someone cared enough to take place. His place. How very different these two men are, Rehoboam and Raymond. The question that should haunt us this morning is this Which one am I more like? Which one am I more like? How close am I to being a hero? How close am I? to almost being there. Will my choices sell me short of God's expectations of me? Do you know God has some expectations of you? He has a plan for you. He has a plan that involves selflessness. It's a plan that is modeled after his own son of giving ourselves away so that others May know that they may know his love. Jesus didn't promise that if you followed him that everyone would love you and every discomfort would be taken away. This is what he said to those that he asked to follow them. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of all. God has a story, a story of His love that gave of Himself that we could know God. And you're a part of that story. You're a part of that storyline of the heroes, the almost heroes, the villains. Where are you in that story? God wants you to be a hero. And he has placed you maybe this week in a pivotal place where choices, decisions that you make will affect those in your kingdom. Will you make a choice based upon God's will for your life? Or is it going to be all about me? Yep, this is is the best choice for me. Sometimes the best choice for me that I think may not be God's choice. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to get over yourself and grow and give of yourself? Ask yourself, what am I doing this week that is truly for others, not about me? What am I going to do this week that is not about me in any way? That's where you will shine the brightest. Shall we stand? Almighty God, I thank you for being our example. You gave yourself. You poured out yourself so that we might have the the possibility of life, of relationship with God, of eternity with you. And Lord, there's people that we're going to meet this week that their eternal destiny might pivot on our choice. Help us to see the big picture. Help us to not be consumed with our own desires and lust and greed and seeking of power and recognition, but Lord, help us to be a servant to those around us. We just ask that you would help us to be your hands and feet in ways that we have never been, And may He may please You. We ask in Your holy name. Amen.